Hello again, welcome back to Custom to Click. Today we're going to explore data collection, privacy, and the recent iOS updates causing havoc for many marketers. My guest today is Shane Ostry, a MarTech consultant who works with companies to build out tech stacks and improve the engagement they get from ads. We've all heard the doom and gloom recently about how Apple is destroying the advertising space and companies aren't ready for it will die out within months. And there's also, of course, the more positive take on it, which is that this is going to make marketers better. It's going to make them more creative and force them to really understand the customers. Let's get Shane on now to talk us through these recent changes and the effects they'll have. Hi, Shane. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, could you just introduce yourself? Um, tell us a bit about yourself, your your background, your career, and uh, and what you're doing at the moment. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. For the audience who may just be learning about me, my name is Shane Ushery. And I am currently the CEO of Silicon Valley Consulting. We help niche companies and platforms improve their monetization strategies. And we also help marketers understand how to best utilize different monetization channels like Facebook, Google, and other platforms. Awesome. Sounds good. So um, the topic that we we agreed to talk about is iOS 14.5, which, to be honest, I know very little about. I kind of know that. Yeah, I kind of get get the idea of what the major update is about, but um, but yeah, other than that, uh, it's not really my area. So it'd be great to hear from you. You know, what is going on? How is it impacting marketers, and and what can we do about it to to mitigate it? Well, this really started to happen around 2016 after the whole Cambridge Analytical scandal, where privacy and data has slowly become a pressing issues that news journalists like to run with more than they need to, honestly, and. Basically, ever since that Cambridge Analytica scandal came out about Facebook, a lot of people started realizing, hey, these companies have so much data on on myself that they can literally influence my vote. And that has sparked a little bit of a fire into some people, but really as journalists have been continuously spinning the wheels of this over several months and several years at this point. And as we are right now, a lot of companies are now pro the movement of privacy and data control after the Supreme Court investigated a few companies in the space, in the ad tech space. Primarily, what we're looking at as of right now is that Apple has released a major update that really constrains the apps that are on the app stores and a lot of things that require data to work they're now restricting them from accessing data. So if you're on your phone now and you have the latest update, when you go into, let's say, Hulu, it's going to say, hey, do you want to allow Hulu to track some of your data and utilize some of your personal information? And this, because of the way it's phrased, a lot of users are clicking no. And one is because of how it's phrased, but two, it's also because all of the news reports over the years saying, hey, Alexa's listening to you or hey, Google's listening to you. So now people are just yeah. outright scared. So, and but this is one that um, I'm guessing brands and apps can't do much about, can they? So and what I mean by that is the whole thing with push notifications, right? When you, a great way to get people to opt into push notifications is to give people a nudge, you know, a reason to do it, get them to accept that and then prompt them with the actual iOS request for it right does that make sense you know what i mean yes i understand what you mean websites also do it but but you you can't do that with this this privacy thing can you that's just apple just pops it up when they want to exactly that's exactly the point where they're strategically doing it in a way 
that makes users not want to click it. Because if an app literally asks to utilize my data and I haven't actually used it before, of course I'm going to click no. If I don't see in the moment why it's important, a lot of people are going to click no. And that's just a fundamental fact after doing like so many surveys about iOS 14.5. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose you can, I, I, I guess you can ask people to opt in, right? So you could. There's there's a little message where you can try to customize and say, hey, these are the reasons we need it. But overall, the opt-in rates have been surprisingly low. People, A lot of people in the industry right now are trying to adapt in unique ways by creating alternative methods that doesn't directly require the Apple's SDK on that would basically limit them from accessing data. At the current moment, we're looking at different ways of, hey, this is privacy-centered ways of analyzing users so we can still offer them the best experience and also still care about their privacy. Because something that news reporters aren't really focusing on right now is that, hey, by telling people these scare stories and getting them to opt out of iOS 14.5, you're actually significantly decreasing the usage of the platform because for example facebook when i see unrelated videos and unrelated ads in general i overall feel less likely to go on facebook and that's just um astounding resounding voice throughout the industry and throughout usage for facebook is that hey at least before in the past you would see a ad and it was somewhat relevant to you and you may have not liked being tracked but at least you could say hey, hey i actually did need that new fan anyways Versus now I'm seeing products that I would have never bought in the first place. And it's actually quite annoying. Yeah, no, no exactly. Um, if it's relevant to you, you know, but sometimes it, it does get a bit weird. You know, e even for me, when I know how it, I kind of know how it works. I do find it weird how I'll have a conversation on WhatsApp, right? And I've, I've probably been to a couple of websites as well, Um but, but I'm just, for some reason, I feel like it happens after the WhatsApp conversation. Uh, I will go on Instagram or whatever, and every other ad is related to what I've been looking at, which is kind of good because it means I'm seeing, uh, you know, loads of different brands and different products that could help fix my the problem that I'm facing or whatever. Um, but it's kind of weird because suddenly everything is all about that one thing I've been looking for. Yeah, it does kind of get weird. And then there's questions like, hey, where's the line where personalization shouldn't enter? Because there's been times where I might send somebody a free movie site and then through Facebook Messenger and then Facebook tells me, hey, you can't send that. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, why are you in my conversation, my personal conversation? And if you're going through my personal conversations, it does make me feel like, hey, that means you can see everything else I'm talking about. And that creates a little bit of a hectic feeling, even as a technologist myself. So I understand, and I do understand that, hey, they probably do have security measures in place where, hey, if even if you have the messages, they anonymize which user it comes from, or they might encrypt certain pieces of data. But then you also have to account for the fact of some people don't know better, and they literally send their social over Facebook Messenger. So even if you encrypt who it came from, you still don't have access to socials, basically. Yeah. I do remember this was a few years ago now, um, something to come out saying that Facebook was recording everything you typed into the status bar, regardless of whether you actually hit enter. Right. So they recorded everything. So I, I guess part of that is uh -huh. to un maybe understands how people, how people were writing those statuses and seeing what the difference was between a, 
a status that got deleted and rewritten like immediately and, and trying to understand what the difference is and why someone has decided to rephrase or, or whatever. But it's still, um, when that sort of stuff comes out, it's just like, well, and Facebook's not helped the situation really, has it? They've always, and maybe it is actually the reporting, to be fair, but... Um, That's correct. It, 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 yeah, in fact, it is the reporting, isn't it? The reporting is always, uh, Facebook says, no, we don't listen into your conversations. We don't track what you say on WhatsApp. And then people will have a conversation on WhatsApp and see stuff happening uh, on Instagram. But the bit that gets left out is that I probably did go and look at certain websites that had the, the Facebook tracking pixel on. And so Correct. Facebook's gone, okay, this person is interested in this, so show Correct. them ads for it. That is correct. And yes. But, but that gets left out of the conversation. And that's because in this world of information overload, as a platform, and even as a podcast host, you probably know, a lot of times you have to simplify the information and keep it very focused where we don't track your messages through WhatsApp. And maybe you did go to a website and it is because of pixels on our website, but you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. However, most people don't know that scientific fact. And at that point they start creating correlations of, Hey, maybe they're going through my messages when it's really, Hey, it's because of pixel retargeting. And honestly trying to teach them a pixel retargeting might not be worth the ROI in their minds. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine uh, yeah, well, I imagine most of the time when people are searching for something, they they do a few searches and then bring it up in conversation on WhatsApp. But then they go back and then the ads start happening, right? Exactly. So I imagine, I imagine now if we looked at, so I've been looking at uh, headphones, right? Just just before we recorded this podcast, I was looking for some noise-canceling headphones. Uh, went to Amazon, went to two other uh, well, two two websites that were like kind of comparison, you know, written the articles about all the products and stuff. And then I went to WhatsApp and messaged a group of friends and said, I know we actually had a conversation about this a week or so ago. What was the consensus? What did people think about this one? And I haven't been seeing ads. However, it'd be interesting to see if I start seeing ads today or from today because I've um, because I've been actually on those websites today. Understood. I probably will, but but that it's that mentality of you know I did the search first. I went to those websites first, then had the conversation, and and then I'm going to be retargeted. And so it's, I think that's the way most people view it. The last interaction I had was the conversation, therefore I must be targeted off that. And because everyone knows Facebook and WhatsApp are the same, so I but think the that's only thing is. Oh, sorry, not to interrupt you, but I think the only thing is, right, is everything's perspective. Someone can see that they've been retargeted and think negatively about it, or they could choose to think positively about it. And that just goes back to, I feel, is a lot of PR, branding. Over the years, since 2016, news reporters now saying privacy is bad, um, privacy is needed, that tracking is bad, and they're creating this narrative in people's minds this negative emotion when they tell the story, whether people realize or not, every story has its own unique perspective and it can either be a positive bias or negative bias. And that's simply a fact to all journalism there is on the internet. So something that you should really consider is that, hey, they users now see tracking as bad, they feel scared. However, if news reporters had 
actually thank these platforms to help personalizing the experience, allowing you to find products you never, never would have found on your own. Because as for myself, I do a unique diet, a ketogenic diet, and it's hard to find products for myself. So I actually once upon a time thanked Facebook for showing me these ketogenic products because it actually bettered my life, honestly. So I, it's really coming up to branding working with journalists in order to create a positive narrative to show the benefits rather than just the cons. And honestly, that's what Apple's doing. If you want to segue back to Apple, that's literally what they're doing. I was in a hotel recently, I was flying around and I'm, I'm still a kid at heart. So I still watch Cartoon Network and just to see, hey, what are the kids nowadays actually going to be watching? What are they moving towards? Because I know, realized that in all of myself, I was influenced by cartoons, but I'm seeing Apple ads on Cartoon Network. And it really makes me question, huh, what does that mean? They're saying, hey, they're showing this business guy being followed around. And after everyone they talk to, they go from a donut shop, then they go to a bag store and every owner from every store begins following them around. And in the end, the only way to stop that from happening is basically clicking, do not allow to track my data on your, your iPhone. But that's not actually how it works. The individual business owner isn't like seeing your whole personal life. They're only showing key bits and pieces of data that Facebook allows them to see. So Apple is actually painting a negative narrative for this problem in order to promote their new privacy features. And we can even get into, hey, why are they doing that? What's their ulterior motive of doing that? Yeah, it would be more accurate to show like this one business owner looking over, I don't know, some crowds and seeing a load of silhouettes of people, some of whom are queuing at a, you know, a keto diet uh, business. Some are queuing at a, I don't know, an electronics business and whatever. That's all they can see, really. Like mm-hmm. these are, uh, these are groups of people who have interests that are, are relevant to me and my business. They can't see that it is, this person, this exact person, that person, that person, and they are all queuing at that shop. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you, you put that spin on it and, and you make it seem like you're the one protecting everyone's privacy. Exactly. Uh, everyone's gonna, gonna go with that, aren't they? Yes. Apple has always been good at creating a cult following and I do applaud them for that. I'm as a marketer myself, I cannot blame them. <laughs> so honestly, I have not much to say on that or whether they should do it or not, because at the end of the day, they're a business and they do have an interior motive. We, you wouldn't be surprised if, hey, within a year or two, a- Apple releases their own ads platform because, hey, iPhone sales been dwindling. Let's stop trying to release so many new iPhones and making our money solely off of that. Let's try to figure out how can we take the industries that exist because our iPhones exist, because it's our rights because we created iPhones, so we deserve the industries that benefit from it. You, you shouldn't be surprised when you see that in a couple of years where they don't allow you to advertise on your app unless it's going through their own ad network that you have to pay them a cut for, basically kicking Facebook out of the equation in a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, it'd be interesting to, to actually see whether all this narrative does have an impact on, on iPhone sales or like Apple product sales. So do do they see? I'm not expecting a big jump, but you know, is there a a bump, a little bump in sales over the next I don't know nine months or something? 
as a result of people going, Apple is about privacy. I do need to ditch my Samsung or or whatever uh, and switch across. Maybe like, I don't believe people are actually as concerned about privacy as they say they are, but I do see maybe a suburban mom buying this for her, her children, just simply off the fact that, Hey, I want my children not to be tracked because to be shown ads that basically for children, social media and ads fundamentally changes their psychology as they're growing up during this delicate age. They, I can see a mother not wanting them to have these type of ads. I could definitely see them, Increasing their sales with suburban moms. And that makes sense why it's starting a cartoon network now, now that you mentioned it, huh? That's actually interesting. That's a good one. That's a good point, actually. We kind of talked about what it what it means and stuff, but like for marketers, what is what is the actual impact? Well, the impact for marketers specifically, what you can expect is that your data isn't going to be as accurate. You and Facebook can't guarantee you that accuracy anymore. They they removed 20-day click attribution windows. Because they realized their their model was already half deterministic and half probabilistic when it comes to identifying, hey, who actually made that purchase. But now with even given less data than they did before, they realized, hey, this is becoming way too probabilistic. Let's remove 28-day attribution window. And at least we could keep to some degree of certainty this seven-day click attribution window. So a lot of times when somebody purchased from your website, you may not even get Facebook to recognize that it's from Facebook or Facebook may overreach with their probabilistic attribution models and they may claim sales that they shouldn't have just because they're uncertain of themselves what actually happened since there's now more fog in the technological world when it comes to attribution. Overall, you should see it harder to attribute where your sales came from and because of that, you can't scale up your budget accordingly so there will be a more randomness to when you get sales. Normally, if you put $10,000 into your certain sales funnel, you may expect automatically to get 100K back. Now it might be close to 75K. Your return on ad spend is a lot more fluctuating than it would have in the past. Yeah, it makes sense. Yes. So what, what can be done to mitigate it? What, what can we do about this? Well, definitely... I would recommend marketers speaking to their, if if they're working with more niche platforms, I recommend actually speaking with these niche platforms and realizing, hey, what are you doing to actually give me accurate attributions? And this might be the time where you may have to start looking towards other channels of directing your ad budgets because in the past, similar to the TV industry and radio industry, there used to be within some degree of confidence that, hey, anyone watching this channel is from this demographic. And that's because TV was the only thing people had. Now, most people don't even watch TV in the household. Maybe only one person in the household is actually watching linear TV, like straight cable to television TV. Yeah. So because of that, a lot of the data that marketers get when the attribution data marketers get when advertising TV is now inaccurate because you're not sure who in the household is actually watching TV versus in the past, you're guaranteed this is everyone in the household is watching TV. And that's going to be the same thing with Facebook and so forth. A lot of these bigger ad networks, you're not always going to be sure, are you getting the right attribution data back? And that's where it comes to mind, where you have to start exploring other means like, hey, maybe I should start working with creators, micro influencers, and so forth. 
and maybe I should start looking into niche ad markets. So if you're a, let's say you're a sports company and you're advertising golf clubs, maybe working directly with websites that have an audience for your, that matches your demographic for your product. And then it'll be easier to track versus with wide networks like Facebook, for example. Okay. Yeah. So can you just go into that a bit more, but these niche, the, the niche networks? Well, a lot of networks right now, a lot of platforms, like let's say blogs, let's say publications, a lot of them have core fan base that won't leave their platform where if you advertise with them, you will get your core audience to recognize and buy from you. There's a lot of newsletters now. There's a lot of podcasts now. A lot of these new mediums of connecting with a certain demographic is now in other places besides Facebook. In the past, if you wanted to reach somebody, Facebook was the only way. Now, if I am interested in connecting with suburban moms, there's probably a cooking podcast or a cooking website news publication that I could connect with where their audience 100% believes everything they're saying. And there's also newsletters as well where that's actually become something that's been extremely popular lately, where people are, companies are buying newsletters because they realize, hey, your audience checks your emails every day. Most marketers, they can't even get higher than a 10% click-through rate when it comes to someone reading their email newsletters. But for some reason, these niche creators of news publications, they're able to have a highly focused and highly engaged audience that when you recommend something, practically 90% of the people on that list will go and check out the website. And that's what marketers want because you don't need attributions as heavily when you're guaranteed the results at the end. You can even use a coupon code if you want to do basic tracking. It doesn't require as much advanced technology, though it will reach a point where it does. But as of right now, you can get the results you want from niche, niche platforms. Yeah, but obviously with, with niche comes uh, the issues of reach, right? You know, I've, I've worked with companies who are spending millions every month on, I mean, even millions on just Facebook alone. So obviously they're, they're going to have problems and they're going to have to try and find ways around those problems. But I, I can't see them getting anywhere near the sort of reach by going mm-hmm. through like partnerships and, and channels like that. And actually a lot of these businesses do those anyway. Right. It's, yeah. So it's it's hmm. not a switch to a channel. It's, you know, that channel is already there for them. Exactly. But how a lot of companies do it right now, they have to individually manage. So to give you an example, I'm also the CTO of Cura Story, which recently got into Techstars. And for them, a lot of the companies that we work with, they work with different sports athletes they put them under contract. And the thing is about that is they have to manage these relationships directly. They can't scale when they want to get a massive influx of sales. They simply have to just build a relationship and hope over time the brand awareness leads to tremendous sales within five to 10 years. But with new platforms like Hero Story, for example, it allows you to advertise with hundreds of influencers that match your niche, your demographic, 
and achieve that scale while still managing flexibility with your employees where, hey, every employee doesn't have to manage 15 creators, 15 influencers, because that doesn't make sense. That's not scalable. Additionally, there's other platforms now. One, for example, by a good founder I know, Keanu Murray, he actually is working on a platform that lets you automate the PR industry where, hey, if you are a SaaS business and you are actually doing content marketing, you no longer have to form direct relationships with each content blog that matches your demographic. You just simply put it on one platform and it spreads the news around to all these publications. Your one article gets spread to every publication. So if you're, again, if you're a cooking, cooking niche and you're sec- selling pots, a very exquisite and luxury pot brand, you can basically go on this platform create your own post or get someone on the platform to create it for you. And you can spread the word about your product across hundreds of dish, different cooking or suburban mom niche blogs and platforms and news publications. So new platforms are being created to fix this issue with scale and reach. Yeah. I've done some well, influencer and PR stuff before. And yeah, it was always a, just a massive drain and resource having to, having to manage relationships a lot like that. Um, but obviously, I mean, at the time, you know, the the best ones, the best ones that paid off were were the ones where we did actually really put, really put that time and effort in. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, definitely, definitely effort into like, hey, how you create your copyright? Hey, did you pick the right brand? That's something that's always been need to do manually in order to find the best fit. However, with technology and the direction is moving, people are really trying to solve that problem. They realize it's a problem. And they realize we need to only put your brand in the best publications that match it. You shouldn't advertise on Forbes if you're not if your audience is not on Forbes. You're spending close to 20k for one post, and that doesn't make sense. Why not spend five thousand to go on this other platform, and you're getting like basically ten times your initial spend? So honestly, I understand where you're going at, and there's definitely founders that are trying to fix this. When it comes to reach, scalability, and perfect match. Yeah, cool. Okay. Are there any kind of mistakes you see brands making at the moment in, um, kind of, I guess, in Facebook ads, but related to iOS iOS fourteen point five? Well, a lot of times they're trying to use their existing ways of their existing funnels to reach their audience on Facebook, even though Facebook's made several changes, switching to seven day click attribution window, and those methods aren't working at the end of the day. Those methods of, hey, when uh, they click on my ad on Facebook, I retarget them after 14 days. And due to that, they'll have enough time to go from the consideration stage to the purchasing stage. And that's the perfect time I would reach them. But now with the seven-day click attribution window, you may want to figure out how can I shorten that funnel or how can I use new technology to help better equip my markers to track them along the journey, even though that's becoming harder and harder every day. So definitely using your existing strategies, you may have to start rethinking, hey, is my strategy, is my strategy becoming a leaky bucket where before every $10 I put into it, I get a thousand back. Now is it slowly draining and slowly becoming more inefficient over time? That's something that marketers really need to start asking themselves at this point, because whether they realize or not, innovation is a cycle 
And when you stick in your ways, because it's worked over the last 10 years, you're going to slowly become like the advertisers who still advertise on traditional radio and TV. They haven't realized there's new ways of reaching their audience, like podcasts or like CTD, CTV, connected TV, where maybe you have Netflix on TV or Hulu if you want to advertise on Hulu. Yeah. So definitely interesting. So, so would you say that the, the mistake at the moment is just that they, they're just not changing what they're doing. They're just, they're just continued as is. Um, and and poss- possibly because they haven't realized, you know, there's obviously a lot of people out there who are probably still unaware of these big changes. Um, so is that what you're kind of suggesting? Like the, the big, the big mistake at the moment is people just, just not, not doing anything to adapt and just assuming that what they've been doing and what probably has been working for them for the past, what could be five or so years uh, is is just going to keep working for them. Yeah, that's basically the issue because organizations in and of themselves are the creation of process, processes in order to recreate money in the sense of when you put a certain amount of X dollars in, you get a certain amount of Y dollars out. And by creating processes and following those processes, you ensure a long lifetime value of customers and of your business overall, if things were hectic, there would be a bunch of different issues that would arise. There would constantly be fires need to put out within the company. So they fundamentally at the core of their being believe that processes are the savior to their business. And they are correct. Once you find a process, it is what keeps you alive. That's how you scale. However, after a while you have to re-examine and see that, hey, marketing, is evolving because every day a new generation gains tremendous new buying power. Someone who's born five years ago where a process was just created, they didn't have any buying power that time. Now you have to realize, oh, they have buying power and they think fundamentally different. The culture has tremendously changed. Their ways of deciding who to purchase is tremendously different. Before, it may have mattered if you had a good na- business name, a good, then over time it started to move to, you had to have a good logo, a good website. Now brands are starting thinking, hey, should I have a certain audio sound so that when anyone hears it, they suddenly think of my brand, similar to where you had to hear the tadum when Netflix started. You know that Netflix is starting. It already recreates that mood for you at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Is there anything I haven't asked you? I Overall, I feel like we brought a lot of value to listeners who may be listening at this point. And for the most part, I would just strongly recommend brands to start analyzing what they're doing and realizing, hey, should we invest in TikTok? Because in a few years, a lot of the users on TikTok will be the buying power and the buyers that we want to get. Should we invest in them early so we should get we can get them later when they have true buying power? Should we start looking into VR? Because VR ads are slowly becoming a thing. That's something that my consultancy has been looking into. A lot of things that brands need to start considering because if you want to have a long-term company, you need to think long-term. And in the past, having us the same process for number for like X number of years might have kept your company alive for 100 years in the 1900s. But now in the 21st century, if you don't switch your strategy every like five to 10 years or less, honestly speaking, you're going to be left behind and defeated by some startup that's waiting to take your industry. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you've got to keep keep agile, keep up to date with things, which I know like it's, when, you, when you're a smaller business, it's tough. 
right? It's it's tough to run a business, um, run marketing, probably probably do several things that you don't really know too much about, but you just have to because you're the only person and keep track of all the changes and what those changes mean. And yeah, I, I, it can just be a nightmare, but, um, but for more established businesses, yeah, you know, if you've got a marketing team in place, uh, you should, you know, you should be able to keep on top of things um, and keep adapting and, uh, and never reach out to people, you know, ask people. I think there's a lot, a lot of marketers just try and, try and do it all themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's what, what's, what was working will keep working and they don't really need another person's opinion on it. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's so worth just reaching out to people for a chat. You know, if you don't, if you don't understand a, a channel or, or something that's happening in the, in the space, uh, just find someone to ask about it. Do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Maybe as a, uh, as a consumer rather than a, a professional, maybe. I mean, as a consumer, one of my pet peeves are just unrelated ads. Ads where I can tell you probably did this type of ads in the past, but it's showing it to me now doesn't work in the sense of, hey, the pushy salesman. If you try to be that car sales guy that you used to see on TV back in 2000 or 2001, that have, might have gotten somebody to actually go to your car dealership at that time. <laughs> but if you show that to me now, a lot of people are off put by the feeling of like, hey, I'm being sold. At this point in time, is whether you can work and build a relationship with them. Can you be funny? A lot of brands aren't great at being funny because unfortunately, brand awareness, brand safety, they're scared of like edgier jokes. So maybe working with an influencer who has mastered being funny to your exact target demographic, maybe working with them may be best a good example is wendy's they worked with a bunch of consultants and how to be funny on twitter and they were trending for so long for over several months i would say over several years because they would say rude comments back to um a different to burger king for example and people find it hilarious because brands don't act like that brands are this object at the end of the day even though brands try to be people and actually try to be personable a lot of times they are just objects in the end. And with Wendy's saying funny remarks back to Burger King that showed that, hey, wait, they are actually more than just serving me food and trying to be take my money. You actually want to eat at Wendy's when you think, hey, what should I eat today? Because they're always top of mind when you see them on Twitter. Yeah, definitely. I think Wendy's been absolutely fantastic on, on Twitter. I, I don't know if they do it on, on, on other channels uh, much, but yeah, uh, Twitter's the most noticeable one. Um, it's probably, it's honestly, it's probably one of the main reasons I know about Wendy's. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think I've been to one in the states. And so now that I know that they're planning on opening in the UK, I'm like, okay, I'm obviously going to go have have to go check this out. Like, I'm not not a massive fast food fan, but yeah, like I, I know about Wendy's now because of, of Twitter and stuff. So yeah, I, th I think I'd go check that out when they when they turn up here. Well, yeah, Arby's is also another good one. They have been targeting Gen Zs and like early millennials by showing a connection to anime. Honestly speaking, I don't even know how anime connects to Arby's in reality. But when they have like an ag anime figurine and 
it's not like they're selling toys like McDonald's. No, they just have the figurine there constantly, a different anime character matching the burger. And they might put the design on the burger. And even though you can't get it in store, seeing them, I'm like, I have a more positive emotion to them, honestly speaking. I'm like, well, that's Arby's. They're a cool place. I actually might eat at them at some point in time. If I see one while I'm driving down the highway, I actually might stop. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it's even if it doesn't really resonate with you exactly sometimes you see this stuff and you think okay there maybe it's just me as a marketer i suppose but uh yeah i, I kind of recognize that stuff um you know it's it's brand doing something differently you know um i i always come back to the example of like fashion brands but you see you you could open up a hundred different fashion websites take off the logo from each one and then ask people if they can identify any of them and I think loads of people would, would really struggle, really, really struggle. Um, just e- even picking out some of the, some of the top ones, but, uh, but, but mainly the, it's mainly the smaller ones. Um, but I'm not talking small, like barely, barely profitable or anything. I'm talking, you know, brands still doing millions and you just can't tell them apart because their branding is almost the same. The website layouts are the same. They don't do anything to stand out. So I think that yeah, actually, that's that's probably something that would really help with um, mm-hmm. with iOS fourteen uh, and stuff as well. And these sort of updates, you know, if you're standing out, or the rest of your marketing is gonna gonna work better, isn't it? Yes, even though I do feel negative emotions a little bit towards Apple for basically trying to kill the ad tech industry, I do realize constraint is the one thing that has led innovation, especially in America, where, hey, if we do not have something, we'll literally create new scenarios and new innovations to help fix that missing gap that's apparent. If if oil is the main way that we are getting electricity in our homes, then, hey, maybe we should start looking towards electricity because oil prices are going up. Kerosene prices are going up. So, like, definitely, definitely, I... They're trying to take an old industry that's been there and that's fine because that's going to create a whole new industry because they're basically trying to kill Facebook, honestly speaking, and turn Facebook into cable TV where that might bring rise to VR, that might bring rise to platforms that let creators monetize and brands to work with new creators in their niche. That will bring rise to automated PR agencies where you could track the attributions of going to different websites. Definitely a lot of space and a lot of room for innovation now, thanks to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, um, this has been really interesting stuff. Um, really interesting to hear about, more about iOS 14 and, um, and your, your opinions on it. And, and the PR thing, I think, was, is a really valid point, actually, uh, how it, it's, it's, all, uh, it's all a negative spin, really. Um, if people want to find out more about, about you or, or have a chat with you, what's the best way of getting in touch? Definitely the best ways to get in touch are through LinkedIn. Yes. Just looking up my name, Shane Austria on LinkedIn will give you the best bet. My DMs are normally open. I get constant messages about different advice that people are seeking. A lot of times I just answer them freely because uh, the only way we all can improve is that if that if we share knowledge. So definitely LinkedIn is the best place to reach me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shane. All right. Nice speaking with you. One of the biggest takeaways is how this whole situation is actually being portrayed and the coverage this has received in the media, which has basically convinced the public that any form of data capture is bad and will be used for evil purposes. 
And this has played into the hands of Apple, who have now positioned themselves as the privacy-friendly option, when in fact they're the ones still actually collecting all that juicy data about you. But regardless of this and how you might feel about it, it's happening and it's happening now. Marketers are going to have to be better and they're going to have to be smarter about how they approach marketing and how they speak to their audiences and customers. If you'd like to speak with Shane about this further, just reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Catherine Biggs with me, and we're going to be talking about how you can reduce customer anxiety around that post-purchase experience. But until then, keep those customers clicking.